welcome back to episode 12. Today we've got two violently vile video game videotapes with 1994's Street Fighter and 1995's Mortal Kombat. So use one of those forearms to cover up your balls, why don't you? Because it's time for Frightful Failures! I can't believe it. I, I, I just yeah. can't. I, I mean, are you in as much disbelief as I am? You know, it it pains me that we can set a table mm-hmm. so nicely. Yeah, we laid it all out for yet, all the utensils. The glassware was beautiful. And yet, someone can come in and just make a big sloppy potty mess in all of the fine china and, that we and, just put together. And they together say, you know, this is what happens when you get the studios involved. This is what happens when, this is what right. happens yeah, when, right. when you try and make money the main objective. You come in, you take our beautiful Sonic, you turn it into whatever it was that they released out in the theaters. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost speechless. I know that that's weird for you and I, but I'm, I'm almost speechless. Here's the thing. We went over in fine detail the, the, the positives, mm-hmm. we gave some really yeah. good feedback mm-hmm. on the trailers and everything we were working on, where I said, look, yes, keep it a Please. nightmare creature. Make sure that Robotnik resembles nothing with either game franchise that, exactly. that the fans love. You know, bring in Cyclops to get cucked out. Yeah. The whole nine yards. We brought it all together and we showed it to them mm-hmm. so nicely, so mm-hmm. pristinely. And what do they do? Let's just make it oatmeal. Let's just go and we'll just make it sort of bland and not offend mm-hmm. anybody. Art is not art if it does not challenge exactly, the viewer. Exactly. I mean, this, this is what I've been saying since the beginning. I mean, we wanted this like, you know, if you took like a, a Dali painting and then you made it look more like the original Sonic. is that Would that make it better? I don't think so. No, you, you have to keep right, it scary. Exactly. There's got to be an element of fear. And that's what we've been saying since the beginning. So Paramount, more like para... F- flounce, yeah, pair of flounce. Uh huh. That's okay. That that's not a good example of our well, creative yeah, power. Okay, but yes, yeah, you're right. We're not good at improv, so it's just we're, we're just coming off of this, the top of my head. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Be that as it may. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Frightful Failures. I am your ghost host with the most, Zach Romero, and of course, joining me as always is your ghost host with the most, Tien Gagnol. It, for whatever reason, it's great to be back, nonetheless. So, uh, we are abandoning what what perhaps would have been the expectation that we would have taken this long break and come back and reviewed the feature-length Sonic movie. We are we are uh, exceeding those expectations by talking about a completely different movie, because the fact is, it wasn't Sonic that took us back. Uh, this statement sounds like a joke, but it's the reality that only a global pandemic ruining each of our lives could have possibly allowed us to make the time to uh record again so 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 correct so that is why we're here okay that that's the real reason and we will not be talking about sonic today not one bit not even a mention of his supple blue form instead um we're going to be reviewing it to different uh movies based on video games game related films yes and they they unlike sonic they actually take hard stances and creative endeavors and decide to do whatever the hell they want, which is what this is all about. You don't 
give everyone in Twin Peaks chili dogs just because Sonic mm-hmm. had chili dogs. You are David Lynch, and that's you get right. weird with it. So that's what we're talking Precisely. about. Precisely. We'll be talking about two mid-90s video game combat masterpieces, 1994's Street Fighter and 1995's Mortal Kombat. So, uh, without further ado, I, I think we start with Street Fighter, and uh, let's, let's, let's get it kicked off. So, now, you are familiar... Uh, well, with both these things, but you are familiar with 1994 Street Fighter, yes. Yes, yes. And so one thing I wanted to really um, uh, stick to on this is anybody who's ever done any sort of research for 1994 Street Fighter the movie, um, the actual behind-the-scenes production of this film is a disaster. Um, it's absolutely a disaster. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is, like, coked out of his mind during the entire production of it. Um, they had to keep rewriting it as they were going along. Raul Julia was actively dying of complications due to stomach cancer. Like, the movie is a disaster behind the scenes. And I don't want to necessarily focus on that. I want to make sure that we're talking about the movie as a movie. Like, on its merits. Now, does the behind the scenes stuff play a factor? I think so. I don't think they just woke up one day and they were like, Hey, let's just make this really weird. But... I want to talk about it narratively. I don't want to necessarily just keep blaming like, oh, he kept changing stuff, or oh, Van Damme was coked out of his mind all night. Like that, yes, but also let's talk about the film as a film. Right, right. And, and I'll say that uh, this may have been my first uh, true, pure expe- experience with Street Fighter, where I, I sat down and watched it start to finish. Of course, I mean it, it's a movie where a lot of its scenes are famous and are replayed throughout the internet sphere. Um, but this may have been my yes. first experience really, truly watching it start to finish. And I got to say, this movie put hair on my balls. Uh, I mean, from the from yeah, the very well, beginning um, of uh, introducing uh, Van Damme's guile and having him come on screen with, with the news reporter and say, hey, terrorist, how about this? And just like hitting him with I the mean, guns that- right there. That's how you That's negotiate exactly. terrorists. You just flex yeah, on them, literally. Um, so, so let me let me try to sum up the film. So, um, uh, there's a warlord who has uh, risen up and created his own island, I guess, uh, named M. Bison, and he's attempting world domination. And so he has captured a weird number of hostages and is basically demanding uh, $20 billion dollars from the world's governments. And uh, as such, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is playing uh, all-American uh, army guy, Guile, uh, brings together this like world army to try to take on M. Bison. And then there's some people sort of caught in the middle. Like there's a newscaster uh, named Chun-Li. There's these like hustlers, I guess, Ryu and Ken. And there's also a weird science experiment that M. Bison's working on to create a super soldier. So that's a, it's a lot, it's a lot all going on at once. Um, but basically it's M. Bison attempting to take over the world and a ragtag team of fighters is looking to try to uh, derail mm, that plan. Yeah. Excellent lesson. Um, now, um, I, I think there maybe is no better place to start with this film than a, an honest-to-goodness uh, summary from you uh, to give a little bit of more backstory on our protagonist, 
uh, the portrayal of our protagonist of John Claude Van Damme. Now, um, I think it would be perfect to allow you the stage for just a moment here to talk a little bit about Van Damme, uh, where he was at in his career at this point, and uh, and kind of how we rose to this role. So, like I said, um, at the time, it is it is documented that Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, was completely coked out of his mind. He was like knee deep in a coke uh, habit, and so when you hear that, you assume that he's going to be like Robin Williams on set. That he's going to be like completely out of his mind. But instead, he's just sort of very sleepy in this role. He's just sort of like, yeah, here we are. Uh, I'm going to take on Bison. He's just very sleepy because he's he was up all night doing coke. But basically, if I I'm trying to pull up his uh his actual filmography right now, but this is still this is like. We're getting into prime uh, Van Damme territory here. Kickboxer, Kickboxer would have been um, about five years prior. You've got um, Double Impact was just a couple years beforehand. So, like, we're getting into really he's starting he's really starting to churn out some butter here. Um, let's see, Hard Target had been done right before um, Universal Soldier. We were right before Sudden Death. So there was a lot that was kind of coming together in terms of he was just kind of being established as an action hero at this time. Uh, so it makes sense why they would want to get him on board with this film. Like, he's a good action star at the time. However, just from the point of view of the character from the game, which, by the way, in the opening credits it says that this movie's based on Street Fighter 2. It's super not. It's super not. Um, but... He, okay, so he's supposed to be the lead. That's fine. He's obviously very not American. Which, um, I, I gotta say, he's, he's I, I, I was under the impression, and I guess I was completely wrong, but I was under the impression that Jean-Claude Van Damme is the guy you get when you want less of an accent, and you so you don't go with Schwarzenegger. That, that was... That's true, and I think that was probably their game plan, because Schwarzenegger would have looked more the part of Guile, um, but you couldn't have gotten around that accent. But you're exactly right. So I think they went with Jean-Claude Van Damme as like a, well, I, it'll be close. Um, but he still, he does nothing to, to hide that accent. Like, oh yes, this Belgian uh, soldier who's all American, baby. Precisely, um, precisely. <laughs> um, now, uh, I'll be honest though. I think that, uh, you know, say what you will, and they call me a conspiracy theorist, but uh, I really think that the reason that uh, his body gave up on him was that they knew that Raul Julia would never be able to pump out a better performance than here as M. Bison. And that's why he was laid to rest uh, before the release. Well... I was going to say, the big story is that uh, Raul Julia took this role as like a um, as like a favor to his kids because his kids loved Street Fighter. So he was like, yeah, what the hell? Um, but he put so much into this performance that way more than it deserves. And I was reading some reviews. So this has an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Street Perfect. Fighter the movie does. Um, and they say that like, oh, Raul Julia is like very uh, over the top and campy performance. And I was like, I don't know. Towards the end of the film, yes, he gets very, very crazy. But like, there's some real, there's some real moments as a character that he puts into this, and I'm like, this movie didn't deserve this at all. <laughs> like, they they hit the lottery with getting him, you know, to come in and do like some of his speeches. Like at the very beginning, he gives us like really beautiful speech about how like like his point of view as a villain. Ah, the road not taken. But why? 
Why do they still call me a warlord? And mad? All I want to do is to create the perfect genetic soldier. Not for power, not for evil, but for good. And I don't want to, this is going to sound terrible. M. Bison walked, M. Bison crawled so that Loki could run, if that makes sense. Like, Tom Hiddleston being, like, a likable villain, I think Raul Julia kind of set the stage for that a little bit. Because he gives us the speech about, like, how he sees what he's doing. That he doesn't see himself as evil. It's just, oh, the world is in shambles, I have to come to rule it, and everyone will humbly you know, get down on one knee and worship Bison in return. You know, I think um, I saw that interview with Tom Hiddleston where he's like, you know, I, it's really all about M. Bison. I mean, that's what it began with from the very beginning. You know, I came in as Loki, but I was thinking M. Bison in the back of my head the whole time uh, in production. I'm there with Hemsworth, you know, it was great. I'm thinking M. Bison, Raul Julia, eyes bugging out of my head the whole time. Kinda, kinda, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. There's yeah, a little well, bit. There. I mean, you're not wrong. You're, you're, I, you're not wrong. Um, which, so, but yeah, the whole back and forth he gives us when Van Dam supposedly dies as like a fake out, and like the underlings like DJ and Zangi for like, hey, great job with the the good guy's dead. We don't have to worry <laughs> about him anymore. And M Bison's like, ah, uh, what disap? I mourn because. He was a fellow warrior, and what a fight it would have been. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like this, there, there is depth there that didn't have to be there. He could have just been snidely whiplashing no, all no, day. No, that's very true. Now, um, M. Bison's uh, directive, his plot, his big goal in this movie. Right. Um, I, a little convoluted, if I have to be honest. His well, plan's a little convoluted. slightly convoluted, but in, in the vein of Superman 1... Uh, yes. He he flat out tells us, uh, no minced words about it, that the goal is Bisonopolis. The goal yes. is a giant uh, metropolitan area uh, with a food court. Uh, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a theme park, essentially. Um, or a mall, which is really weird. Yeah, and, uh, and in that same vein... I really miss the era where where that was the goal. That was the villain's main goal. I mean, all of our greatest villains, whether it be Lex Luthor, Judge Doom, uh, Danny DeVito's character from Space Jam, like, if they just want to make money on a place with their face on it, I think we should go back to that era for modern superhero films. Abandon the sky beam, have Thanos come out and be like, Thanos planet. That's what I want. I'm going to get Captain America. He'll be the main attraction. And uh, I, that should be the real, the, the goal, I think. That's, I, I to, to further your point, I feel like that's the only thing that dates this film. The fact that that wasn't immediately accepted. Like, the fact that Bison was like, I just want to make a weird theme park mall and make a lot of money. The fact that there was any pushback on that at all is the part where I'm like, mm, clearly this was the 90s. Because if this was now, there would be no pushback whatsoever. This would yeah. be more than accepted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Printing, he started, printing money with your face on it? That, he would have started a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. and it would have been funded overnight. There oh, would have been absolutely. no problems. Yeah, no no issue whatsoever. So, so let me ask you this. Mm. Um, wh- in terms of how did you feel about the film trying to balance such a roster of characters because it has a shitload of characters in this movie that all, as the movie progresses, 
inexplicably get more and more into their traditional costumes as characters, by the way. Yeah, no, it's all like a slow accident. Piece by piece, they'll they'll fall in a hole and get up and their costume is ripped in just the right way to look exactly like their original Street Fighter costume. Yeah, like Chun-Li is explained. Chun-Li is like, ah, M. Bison's a real creep and he's going to make her dress like Chun-Li from the game. But then it's like, oh, I don't know, fucking, you know... uh, E. Honda now suddenly looks like he does in the game. And now, you know, uh, Ryu and Ken suddenly are wearing their geese. And it's like, oh, oh, oh okay. I guess yeah. that, I guess that's fine. Yeah. But how did you feel this, this movie did in terms of balancing a gigantic cast of characters? Well, I'm not going to fall into uh, a, a trap that we've agreed uh, off mic that we're not going to fall into here. But uh, I will say that... Uh, there really is no explanation at all for why everyone in the world involved in this situation happens to be a professional fighter. Um, That's true. Whether you're an arms dealer, whether you are a journalist, whether you are the cameraman for a journalist, whether you're a producer for a a news program, uh, anyone even mildly involved in this situation is, in fact, a professional fighter. And uh, and given no context to that whatsoever, uh, I almost prefer that you know like just just let them be let them exist in their little little space there um so i would say that uh, without having to have some title screen explaining a few facts about the character each time they appear for the first time it it just it's almost uh it's almost enlightening to not have to feel catered to uh, with the mm. movie explaining to you each and every character. So I, I I honestly, I'm okay with it, you know? Having 25 different fighting game characters in this film with no explanation whatsoever. Well, you, you're very forgiving in, in, in regards to that. Now, what would you say is, is some strengths and some weaknesses of this film? Because for a movie that has, again, an 11% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, we've been very complimentary thus far. <laughs> or at least... Uh, at least very softballish in terms of like the critiques to it. So what would you say works for this film? What would you say absolutely does not work for this film? Well, you know me, Zach. I'm just a positive person. I, you I are just very wanna... optimistic. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, the fact of the matter is this. I mean, well, we all know there's a phantom agenda on Rotten Tomatoes against anything that audiences actually like, okay? Critics right. and audiences never feel the same way about anything. That said, um, I will say that the problem perhaps one of the primary problems with this film is that it's titled Street Fighter. It's obviously based on a a famous arcade game. But if someone didn't know that, and we're going to a Jean-Claude Van Damme film called Street Fighter, uh, they probably would be under the impression that the film was about, like, an urban youth, someone raised on the streets... Um, Almost like a up. Rocky Balboa story, but yes, in the streets itself. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and indeed, the the game itself had featured a lot of those sorts of aesthetics. Obviously, you know, beating up the car and, and things like that. There were some street elements to Street Fighter, for certain. Um, there are no street elements to this film at all. It is primarily set in a jungle, and when it's not set in a jungle, it's set in a, 
uh, high security facility for a global terrorist. So not a lot of streets in the Street Fighter. And also, to really completely play Devil's Advocate, not a lot of fighting in the Street Fighter either. I was just about to say that. I was like, uh, for a movie based on a fighting game, this movie did not want a lot of fighting. Yeah, no, not a lot of fighting whatsoever. Um, a lot of gunplay. Um, you could yes. have called this Jungle Gunner, and that would have been more accurate than Street Fighter. Um, but yeah, a lot of gunplay, a lot of explosions, a lot of big set pieces, not a lot of fighting, uh, not a lot of, you know, two men hand to hand going for it. Well, actually, as I was watching this film, I'm sitting there and I'm going, what the fuck is even Street Fighter about? Like, cause it says, like I said, at the beginning it says, oh, based on Street Fighter 2. And I'm like, what is the narrative of Street Fighter? Because I know the ones for other games. Like I know Mortal Kombat's story. I know Tekken's mm-hmm. story. But I'm like, what is the story of Street Fighter? And so I actually looked it up. The story of the original game is so much more conducive to a film than what we got. Because it feels like a studio, similar to what we talked about at the opening of the show, it feels like a studio kind of came in and was just like, ah, we can come up with something better. But the initial uh, story of Street Fighter 1 is that uh, Ryu, who's a great fighter, is going through this tournament. He goes up against Sagat. Sagat uh, apparently whoops Ryu's ass and offers him a position in the evil corporation that he's trying to work with. And uh, Ryu taps into, like, the dark side of more, of, of fighting. Like, there's apparently, like, it's very Star Wars-y in terms of, like, there's a dark side of the Force. And he taps into that and chest punches Sagat and beats him and now is worried about turning to the dark side. Sagat goes crazy and joins forces with M. Bison and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, are you telling me that there's a martial arts version of Star Wars and we decided against that as a film? Because apparently Street Fighter 2 just sort of picks up as the consequences of that. Ryu's trying to um, distance himself from the dark side. Sagat and M. Bison are strengthening their forces, blah, 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 blah. Again, not a airtight storyline to make into a film, but certainly more interesting than this like weird geopolitical terrorism story that I think here's my, here's my thought on what the problem of this film is. This film has a super clear cut villain and not a super clear cut hero. We've got like three different teams of heroes who are all trying to stop Bison and none of them are super clear because like Chun-Li is a newscaster, but also wants revenge on, on M. Bison because he fucked up her village 10 years ago. Okay. And then you've got Ken and Ryu who are just sort of like criminals who are kind of involved. And then you've got Jean-Claude Van Damme who's just leading an army with a personal vendetta for some reason. So you've got three sort of vague hero groups, but one super clear-cut villain. And I feel like that's kind of part of the problem. It's hard to cheer for the good guys when it's like, what are we doing here? Who's the, who's this guy? What does he want to do? And I feel like that's kind of the big undercurrent of the film's problems. Yeah, no. And and at one point, M. Bison even says that um, in a scene where, um, where Chun-Li's team and Ken and Ryu are both like in the room and they end up getting gassed by... M. Bison, he says afterwards, like, you know, if you weren't so busy fighting each other, maybe you could have stopped me or whatever, which is essentially him saying, like, well, if you two had figured out your plots and your character motivations a little better and (laughs) had those aligned, then maybe we could have put this thing to bed, so, sorry. Right, yeah, no, and I think he brings up a good point, like, I'm like, yeah, no, he's not wrong, like, yeah. 
Now, now we mentioned this briefly, but um, there is a uh, a co-soldier to Guile um, that is yes. brought before M. Bison in the beginning, and uh, he recognizes him as a friend of Guile and chooses him for his super soldier program he's making. Um, he's got these kidnapped scientists, and uh, they are experimenting on him. They're giving him the old clockwork orange, showing him uh, some yeah. society's worst. Uh, which, by the way, if they made this movie now, what do you think they would have put on that tape that they showed uh showed him? um obviously you know war footage mm, yeah um do you think they like i, I think they probably would have put like wendy williams farting on the air yes yeah yes mm-hmm. um the the catch me outside girl oh god um, yeah absolutely that's a modern and then reference just, and then just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then just then just like a, a and then they would have like, put gangnam style <laughs> and then r slash the donald um <laughs> <laughs> and just a constant stream of uh, Reddit posts yeah, and just, YouTube just comments. Yeah, just Pepe, you know, in, in different yeah. outfits, you know. Some so. Alex Jones clips. Yes, yeah. exactly. Turn on the frogs, day. All right. That would have been that would have been Blanca's first line when they open the. <laughs> They were turning the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. So uh, the process of turning him is maybe the funniest aspect of the whole film. Like just objectively funniest. Uh, when they say like, okay, well, I'm going to turn his brain into a killing machine. And then we'll work on his body. And then they wheel in bags of Hawaiian punch labeled DNA yes. mutagens. Um, and, uh, and then when he finally emerges, uh, which is when, you know, Guile has arrived, uh, and, uh, and is confronted with his former friend, lover, perhaps, uh, that would have been an interesting subplot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Blanca, you know, who, you know, from street fighter. That is the, the, the name of the character. He emerges looking a little less like Blanca, a little more like a Geico caveman, um, yes, and uh, and and they 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 sh- I would say they almost share a tender kiss when they recognize each other. That was really weird. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: I tell I, I mentioned earlier that I was impressed with like the commitment to costuming in mm-hmm. this. That like a lot of the characters really do look like in the ballpark of their of their costumes. Blanca is the one where I'm like, hey, okay, I've I've complained about this before. That in, like, superhero movies, I'm always put off that there's, like, a weird line on what's ridiculous and what's not. Like, mm. I think about the Fantastic Four movie. Uh, and in the sequel, they were like, oh, no, Galactus is coming. And they're like, well, we can't just have a giant guy in a pink skirt out in space. That's too ri- ridiculous. Instead, we'll have, like, a tornado with a hand coming out of it. And I'm like, why? What? what's the difference? It, why? Wh- where do you draw the line? Yeah. In this case, where do you draw the line? Don't fucking put Blanca in it. Don't put the green guy... With the orange hair who shoots electricity out and goes, bleh, bleh. don't do that. Don't include that in this. That he can be in the sequel. Don't put him in this. Yeah. And then, but yet they're like, no, 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 total commitments. And then the 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 professor is clearly going to be Daljum, and I think he is in the game version of this. Like, there were certain things like I get it. I get that you're like for marketing. Uh, for the apex of marketing, we have to include every fucking character we can in this. But maybe you should have had some self-control and gone, eh, maybe not Blanca. Yeah. Maybe we cut out some of that. Um, Who do you think um, were your favorite portrayals of their Street Fighter character in this film? 
Great question. Zangief, 100%. Yes, yes. It's Zangief he was, uh, heads he was over. the comic relief? Why was he the comic relief? I don't like, know. He, he really, he was, uh, uh, by the end of the movie, he was, I, I, I was shocked that he didn't just say, you are a bad guy, but that doesn't make you a bad guy. He gets pretty close. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I think Zangief was fantastic. Um, I think Cammy's pretty close as being like the, the mm. lieutenant. And then she's like just losing more and more clothing as the movie progresses and like mm-hmm. getting the weird hand gauntlets. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, Her ass wasn't all the way out like it is in the video game. So, Which again, if this was made now, you guarantee that would have been the case. Oh, absolutely. Um, but Zangief definitely number one. I hate how Ryu and Ken are portrayed. I don't love Guile. And I love Guile as the, in the game, but I don't love Jean-Claude's performance as him although hilariously enough so you know let's talk about this as a as a as a side thing and again this is somewhat the um well let me ask you let me re-throw the question at you what was your favorite performances before i move on to something else here Mm. um i I mean obviously m bison is 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 just really up there i mean i have a lot of love for i think he's worth the I think he's worth the price of admission i would say so yeah um I, i do think that it's just what an odd choice. Like, I wonder, I wonder honestly what the movie would have been if they hadn't cast Van Damme because he was the poll. And I think if I was, if I read this correctly, they had like a $35 million budget and they spent $8 million on getting Van Damme into the movie. So that's why they had like, just aside from Raul Julia, just nobody's just people off the street, um, for a lot of the cast. And so I, I wonder what the movie could have been if they had just gone for a smaller name, somebody they could have got for a lot cheaper, and then put that other money into the rest of the film and also made Guile more ridiculous American. Almost like, because I mean, uh, you probably know this, but uh, in terms of the production of this film, a lot of it was not produced in America. Correct. They yeah. were, I, I forget what other country they were in, but it was something totally not on the grid kind of thing. It was all over the place. And and obviously there is a an idea of the American soldier from the rest of the world that I think almost would have made for a funnier, more appropriate guile than what we got with Van Damme uh, of uh, something a lot closer to the video game that yes. I think would have made it a lot more ridiculous. Uh, I think that it... We, we've, we've made this argument in the past, but I think this movie tries to ride the line a little bit sometimes of uh, trying to be a serious, like, thrilling action film and then turning, like, full cartoon. So. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. Um, and also, Guile's speech, when the, the brass comes down and says, like, we're going to try to negotiate with Bison, which they end up not doing, by the way. Mm. Um, he gives, like, this hearty speech of, like, oh, do you want to go with them? Or do you want to go with me? And they're like, yeah! That should have been been the the Bill Paxton Independence Day speech is what that should mm. have been and it's not. Um, but I was gonna say, again, not going too far into the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> what did you think of the other lieutenant under Van Dam? Not Cammy, the other guy, the guy who is clearly struggling with English. Oh, is he the one that stands up at the press conference and like has yes, <laughs> and like has a response? What if I told you that was supposed to be Ryu originally? Really? The Capcom picked this guy out that he was going to be their guy, 
and he was going to be Ryu, and it was going to be Ryu and Guile as sort of our, like, main characters for the good mm. side. Yeah. And when they started filming, and he shit the bed because he had no charisma, they were like, oh, crap. And so they just made him, like, nameless soldier, and Van Damme became, like, the, the, the total lead. But what did you... Did it strike you as odd that he kept getting these, like, spotlight moments... It really was that 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 is so wow. Um, that 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 provides so many fill in the blanks for me about like these weird moments where you know Guile would be like having a PowerPoint presentation about M Bison, and then some guy would stand up and go, "But what about his armed forces?" And yeah. I'm like, "Why is that the one guy they chose to have a speaking line there? Why, why out of this up. whole room?" <laughs> Because there's another part, too, in the very beginning when they're having, like, the the news briefing or whatever, and the guy comes, to, the wait staff comes in to serve them and is, te- is actually a Shadowloo operative and mm-hmm. Guile has to whoop his ass or whatever. But, like, that guy, that nameless soldier, speaks up first. Like, uh, our new piece of intel says that. And then Guile's like, whoopa, whoopa, and, like, <laughs> kicks this guy's ass. And then he's like, any more news? Like, oh! But, like, that guy keeps showing up. Even though he has, he's a black hole of charisma, and it's because they were betting the ponies on him, and he completely did not deliver. I'm confused how a guy like that could even get hired in the first place. Like how you wouldn't realize that prior to getting on set. I think I think it's, he kind of had the Ryu look, and I think he was genuinely a martial artist. I think was the idea. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, "Oh, this guy's perfect." And then when he was like actually trying to say his lines, they were like, "Oh, what the fuck happened?" Like he just, I guess couldn't do that so they're like all right he's just other soldier but speaking of him i have a question for you oh boy on a scale of one to ten one being like i'm thoroughly offended and this should have been cut from the film and ten being like a plus great choice this should have been the whole movie what was your thought about the random godzilla joke towards the end of the film oh my god (laughs) i thought that was (laughs) I thought it was really racist. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I, I That's was a like, great, uh, great take. Yeah, I'm. I'm like uh, because it's two very much uh, like Asian American military guys who run in to see the footage. And yeah, there's like a security footage or something. Yeah, like that. security like footage of E Honda wrestling with with Zangief, and and the, and then when they edit in the Godzilla noises and the two. Like, Vietnamese guys look kind of scared. <laughs> and, yeah, they're and like, of, uh, what the? And you're like, why did we feel this was necessary? Yeah, no, I... all I, the I, fucking uh, things. Yeah, no, I, I legitimately was like, well, okay, all right. That's, uh, I mean, fine, fine. I mean, that's what you want to go for. Well, and the fact, not even that it's a very racist joke, because it definitely is. I don't want to yeah. even, like, mince words about that. It's incredibly racist. To, to put that in. But the fact that the movie... It's not... <laughs> it's not even a passing by joke. It's not even like, oh, you blink and you miss it. Oh, yeah. The they movie take a full slams moment. slams yeah. on the brakes. Slams on the brakes. To go, no, 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 no! You gotta see this part, though. Yeah. And then they set it up, and it's like, oh, my God. Like, that's, the, that's <laughs> I think, the low point of the film. Is I, like, I, oh, would, I would agree with that entirely. Um... um Okay. What did you? Um, so let's. I think as a final thing here, please. So we talk about Street Fighter, the movie, not having much fighting in it. However, the ending, you know, chunk, the last third of the film, is built entirely around this fight scene between Jean Claude Van Damme and Raul Julia. Yes. Um, including 
M. Bison getting brought back from the dead, and now suddenly he has the psycho powers from the game. Like, he can fly and shit like that. Yeah. Um, what did you think about that as sort of a big blow-off moment? You know, I think that uh, in terms of structuring it almost like a boss battle in a video game, where uh, you you have that momentary thought of, well, that was anticlimactic. I mean, like, yeah, right. I fought him, but uh, there he's dead now. Um, and having... His big titties pump inside of his chest. That was so weird. I got why <laughs> what they were doing. Like the computer screen says, like, oh, it's performing CPR on him, but like completely unnecessary. Yes, effect. visual. Yeah, no, didn't didn't need to see it happening. Like I believed what the computer was saying. Um, so so yeah, having that come back, it really felt like it was giving you uh, what you deserved. As it's it's established, here's your good guy. Here's your bad guy. We're not going to end this in two seconds. Like, let's 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 give it it all, uh, everything that it deserves. There, so I was okay with it. I was okay mm-hmm. with it being a significant chunk of the conclusion was just their fight. So, uh, well, I'm assuming that that you've got some kind of problem with it, Zach. No, 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 not necessarily. I mean, I feel like there was there should have been more. Like, don't get me wrong, it taking up the entire third act is ridiculous. But my point is. Like, you get there, and you're seeing this fight, and they're doing their shit from the game. Like, Guile does the back kick, and and uh, Bison's doing, like, his, like, psycho-European uppercuts and all that stuff. But it's just one of those things of, like, yeah, this should have been the movie. Like, we should have seen a lot of this. <laughs> no, it's true. It does It it, it does feel like, uh, well, you've been holding this out the whole time? Like, <laughs> right, I mean, right. That's like, what did I you only came have here the string for. effects for one day? Like, why yeah. did we hold back on this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because simultaneously you're getting, like, the Zangief and E. Honda fights. Right. Um, and you're getting, like, Ken and Ryu, like, fighting a bunch of goons. Um, so, I mean, the the third act is, is the point at which you're like, ah, this is Street Fighter. This is the Street Fighter movie. Gotcha. Yeah. I, was, I thought I was in the wrong film for a second. Right. I kept looking at the back and saying, like, did I wander in through the wrong entrance or where am I? But, uh, yeah, I mean, so so give it a, give it its due for the third act, I suppose. So let me ask you this then. What would you say, as an overarching sort of summary of the film, what would you say is is uh, is one thing that is a, an absolute strength of this film that maybe doesn't get enough credit, and then what is ultimately the, the undoing of this film? I'd say it's easier to start with the undoing of this film yes. being that uh, it's, as we stated earlier, it completely undermines the idea of being a street fighter film. Um, I think that the movie should have opened not with the uh, sort of Dark Knight Returns-esque news news channels overwhelming about M. Bison. Oh, yeah. I think it should have started with... Uh, Ken and Ryu being not like pretend arms dealers, shysters, criminals, con men, um, but maybe just two guys pulled off the streets um, uh, who get involved in the wacky situation. Starting with the idea of a street fighter, I think would Which have been... we almost get when we see Vega, and Vega's gonna fight Ryu in the cage. Like, yeah. And there's like people placing bets, and you're like, oh my god, it's a street fighter thing. This is a tournament. Holy shit. And then the, the, the production, you know, company comes roaring in with a car and goes, no, 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 we're not doing that shit. We got story <laughs> yeah. to talk about. And you're like, the, what that the scene, fuck? 
that scene is really quintessentially what the problem of the movie is, is that anytime they get into what you would expect a Street Fighter uh, classic underdog tale, John claude Van Damme comes roaring into the scene, crashing through the wall like the Kool-Aid man and, and saying like, no, no, this is what we came up with. This yeah. is the better movie over here. Look away. Yeah, not good. Um, but, but to give it its credit, I think that, uh, Royal Julia is a national treasure, um, of multiple nations, ours and his own. Um, I think that, um, I think that, uh, a lot of the portrayals, uh, kind of aligned. And I think that when it's trying to intentionally be funny, um, minus the Godzilla joke, um, I think that it's, it's able to do that. So I, I'd say the, the, the comedy and the sort of ludicrous cartoony aspects are what I like about this and not, you know, well, let's try and have it both ways and make yeah, it a serious, and, and I know, think commando you, ripoff or whatever. I think you absolutely nailed it earlier with, with saying like the moments where it super leans into being a video game movie, I think is its strength. I think as as soon as it's like, well, we're going to try to make it a traditional 90s action movie is when it starts to fall apart. Um, in terms of like the the kudos, I give it to the costuming with the exception of Blanca. But like <laughs> making the characters look like they do in the games is not easy. And I think they did a great job there, especially M. Bison's outfit. Um, and also just all of the like the set design for inside Bison's, like, fortress. Like, you get to see all the weird propaganda posters that, like, Bison uses, and, you know, the, even the, the the design of the Bison do double dollars, you know, that yeah. kind of shit. Like, there's so much care put into that. And then, of course, you see, like you said, the stupid Kool-Aid bags of mutagen that have it clearly labeled, like, DNA mutagen! Like, okay, well, that was unnecessary. But, <laughs> but just the kind of set building is really, really good, and I think the costuming's great, and then Raul Julia obviously worth the price of admission. But yeah. you're, I think you nailed it earlier. The, the, as soon as they try to decide, like, well, we're not going to go super ridiculous with it. We're going to try to make it an action movie that, like, someone who hasn't played the games could enjoy. I was like, you immediately lost the plot. Like, there's oh. no reason for that. Oh, yeah. Um, do I think it's worthy of an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes? I don't know. That seems pretty harsh. Um, but as, as we've talked about before, I always have like a soft spot for anything that's really dedicated to trying something, even if it doesn't work. And I think there's elements of that, that, that fit this. So I think it could be a little more forgiven. Plus the, uh, everything you find out about behind the scenes stuff is a fucking disaster. So the fact that this thing even resembled a movie, I think is kudos and, uh, you know, based on that. I would agree with that entirely. Well, um, it sounds like those were our final thoughts about yep. Street Fighter. So then, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. <laughs> From his mother's basement, weighing in at 195 pounds, he wishes, and knowing absolutely nothing about the world of professional wrestling, he is the Clueless Wrestler! So, Tien, I wanted to change things up slightly here. Um, you know, in previous incarnations of Clueless Wrestler, we've gone over, like, what are the huge milestones of, of other companies in terms of feuds and things along those lines. In this case, I wanted to do a different company, and I wanted to do something that was interesting and important, but not necessarily, like, earth-shattering, in terms of not the biggest feud that was going on with said company. So we've talked about WCW, we've talked about WWF, I wanted to talk about the third sort of player in the big 90s boom, 
and that was ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling. And so uh, I chose a, a, a match that was on the undercard. It wasn't the main event of Heat Wave 1998, which was a pay-per-view August 2nd, 1998 from the Hero Arena in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and so this is sort of the counterculture wrestling company of its time. This was one where it was a little dirtier, it was a little uh, off the beaten path, and it was truly DIY. And so the match that we are looking at here is, uh, I believe, like the third or fourth match in the long-going, years-long feud between Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka. So, I am absolutely curious. I am dying to know what were your thoughts on this match. All right, well, first and foremost, um, I have to ask, so is wrestling real? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's... Um, so that's then, the whole uh, segment. <laughs> that's it? Okay, so then my follow-up is, knowing really nothing about ECW, I guess mm -hmm. I could have gathered from its promos that have this very, like, edgy, SSX tricky sort of... It's uh, very of its time. It's yes. very of its time. Yes, I would say so. Um, so, um, I guess I'm, I'm curious to know, because to the layman, which I would consider myself one, mm -hmm. watching this match... I wouldn't have automatically, if I hadn't seen the bumps, known that it was trying to be dirtier than anything that uh, that WWF was trying back in the Attitude Era. So, uh, I mean, there was a lot of chair, but but otherwise, I mean, is this was this a cleaner match than a lot of the stuff that ECW was doing? Or great question. Yes, um, I wanted to pick something that was both hard-hitting, and um, really kind of toe in the line. And that's where I came up with uh, Tanaka versus Awesome. If I had gone with... Let me see, what was the main event for that show? It was something obnoxious. Um, if I had gone with more of the um, the main event or like what the big bigger stories were, then you would have seen a lot more of the grosser elements of it, I guess you <laughs> could say. Um, now, so let's is... see. Is Heat Wave equivalent to WrestleMania? No, no. This, this was just a... Uh, ECW was so DIY that they had a somewhat limited amount of pay-per-views. They could not mm. afford to run as frequently as like WWF was and WCW was. So this was sort of like just a bigger night for them, but it wasn't like a WrestleMania necessarily. The main event of this show was Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, and Spike Dudley versus Bubba Ray Dudley, Devon Dudley, and Big Dick Dudley in a street fight. Which maybe would have made more sense since we did watch Street Fighter. Um, <laughs> but according to the notes here on Wikipedia, Sandman began bleeding by smashing a beer can on his head before the match even began. Oh. So, yeah. Um, it, it, it would have been an absolute bloodbath. But my point is, this was something that actually, interestingly enough... Um, of all the different companies that we've watched and visited, this match between Awesome and Tanaka reminded me most of what wrestling is now in terms mm. of like how the match was built and 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 the, the moves and things like that. But um, one thing that maybe you might have noticed upon viewing that would not have flown in WWF, because you're actually bringing up a great point. There's a lot of people who say that ECW sort of got the ball rolling in terms of, like, the more extreme nature of 90s boom. So, like, they were kind of the Attitude Era before there was an Attitude Era. 
and a lot of people kind of point to WWF might have stolen some ideas and some sort of aesthetic choices from ECW. Um, but like, for instance, the crowd chants fuck them up uh, quite a few times and they don't censor mm. that on the broadcast. Mike Awesome starts the match by calling Masato Tanaka a motherfucker. Like, there's some things that are like a little more raunchy that like the that they don't edit at all. The, even Joey Styles is like, well, the crowd says that, like, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so yes, you're right. Um, if we come back to ECW, I will be sure to pick up something that is more um, disgusting. Oh, absolutely. And there's plenty to choose from. Every oh, match in ECW kind of was hardcore by default, so that's why like. Tanaka brings in a chair and like the referee doesn't go like, Hey, wait a minute. There's like, eh, that's okay. That's fine. So, so Tanaka's opponent, his name is Mike awesome. Yes. Okay. There's actually well, well, uh, a side note on that. I did yes. actually, uh, m- what m- my nephew was uh, coming up with a Minecraft username the other day and he landed on Mike awesome as well. So, okay. Well, there um, you go. Yeah. What are the odds? Right. Right. Well, actually in seeing, um, in watching this match again, uh, it reminded me of a meme that I've seen about uh, uh, wrestling in general. And it was, you know, wrestling, uh, pro wrestling uh, depicted in film. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm sad and, and I have to prove something to my father to become a wrestler. And it's like pro wrestling in real life. Hey, my name is Nutbuster Mike and I don't care if I die. Like that's, that's... <laughs> Kind of where we are, and that's kind of ECW in a nutshell. So yeah, that's kind of where we are. Well, that 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 seems fair. So okay, so uh, given that there isn't a whole lot of context about this match that I have, I don't know who slept with whose fiance. Right, uh, that's true. I don't. I, I don't know anything. I don't know who wrecked the other's limo or, or right. what the true. the context is. The only the only reasons to fight in pro wrestling. Yes, exactly. Um, they do mention that. Uh, this is Mike Awesome's one of his big American debuts. They mentioned right, they were big both, in Japan. Well, they were both um, kind of up and comers in ECW. So, although you know they're both full grown ass men, um, this they I think Joey Styles refers to them as like blue chippers at one point. So this hmm. was still kind of within their rookie year of ECW, and so um, essentially, you know, to kind of give you context, they were just sort of thrown together to start with. And they made magic together. And then it was like, all right, they're just going to feud forever. So they ended up feuding for like five years. They would just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And, you know, Awesome would win one and Tanaka would win one. And it just kind of became like a who's the better fighter kind of a thing. Mm. Um, But no, there wasn't like a real narrative drive necessarily. It wasn't like, oh, this guy did this and now he has to fight this guy. It was just sort of like these two are both mean sons of bitches and they're going to keep fighting and see who's the better man. Well, before I get into what I would say is my main opinion about this match, so um, you had mentioned the chanting, and at one point yes. they're chanting "Holy shit!" Right, um, and it made me realize, having heard some chants at live shows I've attended with you, uh, that there must have be these sorts of staples of wrestling audience chants, almost to put it in terms that I understand, like a Rocky horror shadow cast, how there are, you know, talk back lines. You're not wrong. Uh, there are certain staples like there is holy shit chants. Um, there's, you know, some, you know, 
uh, Tien Guignol is going to kill you. You know, that would be a chant that they, like, they would fill in the blank of, like, a tough right. wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, there's wooing if someone gets chest chopped like Ric Flair. There are certain shadow cast staples, yeah. But I would say ECW really was the originator of the, um, the crowd chanting the company's name. So mm. there's a couple times in the match where somebody does something completely apeshit and the crowd just chants ECW. Um, they were sort of the first company to do that, that the crowd right. is so enamored with what's going on that they are calling attention that ECW is the only company that could be doing this. Right. So when, you know, when Mike Awesome dives off the fucking top rope into the crowd and nearly kills himself on the way down, <laughs> the crowd chants ECW in sort of a reference to like, you're not going to see something like that on WCW or WWF. This is the only right. place that you would be seeing someone put their life on the line for, let's be honest, no goddamn real reason. Just doing it right. just to do it. So that's kind of originated here, which you still hear that from time to time. You'll still hear like a company name chanted by the crowd, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I and mean, I'm not going to go into super detail about it, but like it's a positive overall, but it's a negative in terms of like, well, you should be cheering for the guy who did the thing, not just like, the you know, it would be like if you went to a restaurant and Gordon Ramsay made you a burger and you were like, this is incredible. But instead of chanting Gordon Ramsay, you're just chanting like, you know, Vegas restaurant, Vegas restaurant. It's like, well, yes, yes, you're sitting there, but the chef made the goddamn food. Yeah. Same kind of same kind of idea. It's like, eh, that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's fair. That's why every time I go and eat at uh, one of those burger shacks owned by <laughs> Guy Fieri, um, I just start shouting his name, even yeah. though he's off, you know, having a heart attack somewhere. But, uh, okay, so my main opinion about this match is that I would say it does a really, really excellent job of telling what appears to be like a David and Goliath story. Mm. Um, that you've got uh, Mike Awesome, who's got like eight inches on Tanaka. And 60 um, pounds, at least. And 60 pounds, and you're watching him just beat him down. Um, and yet the match starts to conclude uh, with with him getting the upper hand on Mike Awesome, sort of getting him down on the ground. And then finally, turning his own Awesome Bomb, great name, uh, against him. <laughs> Mike Awesome uh, <laughs> was not a, a particularly creative individual. Let's, right. Let's put, um, that, let's put that to rest. So, uh, turning it against him by by lifting him up painfully um, onto his shoulders and tossing him off the ring onto the table. And I thought that that was such a great uh, moment to, to have it be like, okay, well, here's here's what we've set up. Like, the, the big guy is going to easily be able to toss this little guy um, out of the ring. You know, he's going to presumably win once he smashes onto the table. Um, and to completely subvert in that way and say like, okay, but here's just like a movie or, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Like your protagonist is going to get the upper hand and, and manage to pull it off. I think that it was, it was really well structured in that way. And I, I appreciated that. So, uh, let me ask you this. Um, okay. uh, so I've got two different questions. So j- jumping off of that table spot, um, you ask, you ask at the very start of this thing is wrestling real. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can get any more real than Mike Awesome landing on his fucking neck going through that table. Like, as someone who is not a traditional fan, when you saw... Were there moments in this match that made you cringe at all? Um, 
Well, there was a lot of chair hits, and it made me yes. wonder, like, how do you fake a chair hit? You don't. You don't, uh, you don't in this case. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's, I, I actually wrote down in my notes, uh, I made, like, a list of, like, holy shit, like, Jesus Christ, don't do that moments. And the yeah. amount of unprotected chair shots. And I mean unprotected as in they don't put their hand up at all to on. absorb. the. Uh, they just take it right on the dome. And Tanaka eats a few of those. Mike Awesome eats a few of those. Right. Um, but, yeah, Tanaka power bombing. Mike Awesome through the table is an incredible narrative moment, but Jesus Christ, he can barely get that guy off off his feet, and Awesome just completely lands a hundred percent on his neck and the back of his head. So what? Yeah. So were there moments like that that you you watching? You were like, oh God, that doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, uh, wh- wh- uh, uh, let's see. Um, when he landed, uh, when the, uh, like the first jump off of the ring, when he like his head is under oh under the railing, the, yeah, he goes yeah, under for a, the a, a suicide dive and just completely eats shit. Yeah, no, so that was a big one, and and the announcers, I believe, mentioned like his landing on the table, which uh, I think I didn't see in the moment until there was, like, a bit of a replay there. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, oh, wow. Like, I, I, that really is his neck. That's what <laughs> yes. took it. Uh, which, uh, I'm not a professional wrestler, but I would imagine that when you're in wrestling school, they tell you not to land on your neck. Yeah, the, right? the, the, the beefy part of the neck is not really the cushy uh, landing spot you'd like it to be. Right, yeah. So, um, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, we didn't get to watch a man die. I'm glad right. this this wasn't a live leak link that you sent me to watch right. this, True. this, True. Uh, this match. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he still gets up. I mean, to uh, to their credit, I've you've yet to show me a match where one of these awful landings doesn't uh, wind up with that wrestler getting back up and continuing the match, even if it's only for a moment. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so the, the other question I have for you is, again, as a non-traditional uh, wrestling fan or someone I'm trying to get into being a wrestling fan, mm. so the match is happening, and as you said, Mike Awesome is putting in a lot of uh, offense against Masato Tanaka, who still wrestles to this day, by the way. Masato Tanaka wow. still wrestles today. <laughs> Um, there's a moment where Mike Awesome does a, um, German suplex and he throws Tanaka over his head and Tanaka lands and gets immediately back up and stares down Mike Awesome. Did you react at all seeing that? Like he's beating him up and then he does this big suplex and Tanaka lands and immediately rolls back out and he's like hulking up in the corner. And the the commentary goes bananas for a second. The crowd goes bananas for a second. Did that reach you in any way, or were you I already like committing to like, well, these guys are tough, and that's it? No, I think I did notice that that there was, uh, and it might have been another one as well where there was well, there, a hit okay. that Tanaka a bo- took when when uh, yeah. Awesome hits Tanaka with the chairs. He hits him once, and Tanaka kind of and folds, he stands, and then yeah. he stands up and takes it again, and is still standing. Same yeah. kind of idea. So yeah, same, so did same those idea. And so I did notice those actually, that because I, I feel like there is something in the lore and in the uh, just kind of the unwritten rules of wrestling that uh, you know, if if the move is big, if the move is designed to get attention, then. You know, you can't just go, uh-huh, but my special belt doesn't let me, like, right. I got a shield on, so yes. I can't, you know, like, you have to suffer from that, is kind of the rule, it seems. So, to break that rule is to say a lot to the audience, to say, like, oh my god, like, this guy can really take it, 
And, right. You know, so good. So good. yeah, I would say that is impactful. Definitely good. I was hoping that was going to be the case that maybe you didn't necessarily like sit up when that happened, but to to have mm-hmm. it reach you in terms of like, oh, this is serious. Like the fact that he took that, especially with the chair ones, because there's no like. Well, right. I mean, he learns to take that, so it's fine. No, it's like no man just ate a chair. You saw how bent that chair was. Oh yeah. After Mike Awesome is swinging it like a crazy person. Oh yeah. Um, there, there is no way to, to to soften that at all, and so the fact that he stays upright for a moment, I'm glad that that reached you in terms of like, oh Jesus, this is serious. Like he's kind of powering up almost. So, um, so and then, how would, and then go ahead. So, so then, uh, I'm sorry. What is a DDT? A DDT is, um, it's a move originated by Jake the Snake Roberts, but you basically, um. You hold your opponent's head under your arm, and then you fall backwards, and you drive the top of their head into the mat. So mm, Tanaka okay. does a tornado DDT out of the corner onto some chairs, ultimately right. to put Mike Awesome down. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Um, well, I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm curious to kind of hear your thesis about all of this, um, having heard a lot of my feedback about about the match. Okay, as wrestler. So I would say um, you absolutely gathered what you needed to gather uh, in terms of the David and Goliath elements. Um, and again, this was a little bit of a curveball in terms of like narratively not being super strong in terms of a setup. But I'm thrilled to hear that you were still picking up on some of the bigger moments, that that didn't get lost in translation in terms of like, okay, well, they're both tough guys. What am I supposed to take away from this? But the fact that like you saw um, the ramping up of the of the violence, like as it built up that you could gather like this is getting more and more serious, um, that there was an underdog story at play, and that you were still able to kind of pick up the general vibe that like ECW is a little grungier, it's a little off the beaten right. path. Um, if we do come back to ECW, I will make sure to find you something absolutely disgusting. Something that's absolutely a snuff film. Um, because that was ultimately what put them on the map, was just the utter um, grotesque violence that they would that they would get into. Um, this was a little bit this was a little bit more of a wrestling kind of fight, which was a balance in that company. They wanted to try to attract any kind of fan they could get. So they weren't all bloodbaths. Sometimes they would be a more traditional matchup like this one was in order to try to satisfy the, the wrestling nerds out there who were, you know, they're like, well, I don't want to see someone, you know, gouge themselves to death in the ring. I want to see an actual fight. And so this was sort of that, but now knowing that you were able to read all this and you were like, okay, yeah, it's fine. Show me something shocking. I could absolutely do that with ECW. There was plenty to be shocking and plenty to go, Hey, this isn't okay. This is not all right that they're doing this. Like, um, so I'll, I'll make sure to do that next time. How would you rank this among the companies that you've now experienced? You've seen WWF in its heyday. You've seen a little bit of WCW. Um, how, how does this rank in this, in this sample size that you've, you've been exposed to in terms of like the overarching tapestry of wrestling that you've seen? I mean, for me, I would put this possibly above WCW um, okay. in terms of the match that we watched there. I, I, I mean, these are two talented guys, so I mean, I enjoyed uh, the match itself. I mean, you know me, I, I like, uh, uh, I like a match, and I like this as a segment when you've got something like completely outrageous or with some incredible backstory um, to it. So, I mean, I'm a little more of a showman, as they say. Um, but uh, but but I it's hard not to be impressed by uh, just the, the energy that these two guys have and, and their 
their how they work together. Excellent, so. excellent. So yes, this yeah. was this was a little bit of a different flavor, and I'm, I appreciate you being open to it, not being so narratively strong. However, uh, next time we come back to this, I will make sure to get something real weird and wild for you. Oh, good. Make sure that it's a link on Live Leak, though. Whatever yes, you're sending. Me. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, we'll absolutely look into that. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get back to the show. And we are back. And now it is part two of our deep dive into fighting video game films from the 90s. It is a very niche market, but we found we found them and we're discovering mm-hmm. them here. So, Tien, please yes. uh, summarize for us the 1995 classic Mortal Kombat. Absolutely. So, uh, again, loosely based on the video game. I'd say less loosely than the former. But, yes. Uh, but uh, in this case, so uh, this is about an evil uh, magic entity. There is magic in this movie. True. Uh, the, in, in, well, we won't compare, but there's magic in this movie. Right. And there's a magical entity named Shang Tsung. Um, who apparently has to win 10 matches between realms, uh, in which a realm is to select their greatest fighters and go up against his crew that he's put together, against his monsters that he's arranged. And that's the second Space Jam reference in this I'm, episode. I'm stunned at how much these movies relate to Space Jam, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm shocked. Don't, there's more. Don't, don't you worry. Okay, so Shang Soon um, has come to the Earth Realm to select some fighters to invite them to his tournament called Mortal Kombat. And uh, an ancient, uh, for some reason, Caucasian god of lightning has come to uh, assist the Earth fighters to conquer the evil Shang Soon and the mysterious emperor that supposedly guides him in order to help them win the Mortal Kombat tournament and save Earth from destruction. Excellent. So that is the rough description of Mortal Kombat. Excellent. Can I tell you what my immediate uh, big criticism of this film is? Please. Uh, too much fighting? Too much, actually. I was like, too when much they... hand-to-hand combat oh, in this. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? I didn't want... <laughs> I... Too much. Too much of fighting. No. My big issue with this is pacing. I feel like the pacing of this movie is fucking horrendous. Um, the first 10 minutes is a near breakneck speed in terms of introducing characters and bringing them into why are they fighting. I was actually impressed. I was like, holy oh, hell, yeah. they don't make movies like this anymore. Like, they're like, mm. hey, here's Sonya Blade. She was in Billy Madison. She wants to fight this this Australian guy. Hey, here's uh, Johnny Cage. He's a martial arts movie guy, and some dude is like, you should be in a tournament. Hey, here's Liu Kang. He ran away from his monastery, and now he's come back, and he's going to fight in this tournament. It is breakneck speed getting us to, here are these people, and here's why they're going to fight. And then after that 10 minutes, the second 10 minutes is slow as shit to introduce the combat concept. Like, they're like, okay, okay, we got everybody here. Now let's take this slow boat ride and explain why we're going to fight. No, no, no. Just have them fight. I don't... This film also, without comparing to any uh, particular film, also feels hesitating towards making it about fighting. Like, there's a lot of time spent on, like, yeah, but how do you feel as a person? Like, no, no, I don't care. Get the get to the fighting. That's why we're here. Nobody yeah. came here and go like, oh, I really hope they go into the nuance of these characters. No! Get them to fight. That's what we want. Yeah, I feel like the biggest example of that is that uh, the fight between, I think it's Liu Kang and Katana? Yes. Uh, is more about their conversation and their, like, meditative stance with one another than it is about an actual 
fight. 100% correct. You know, if, I mean, if this were a Marvel movie, it would have been entirely about the fight. Right. They would have fought for 10 minutes and then, you know, had their Luke character would have discussion. Like a shower scene. Yeah, and then, have their character yeah. discussion after the fact. I like that in yeah. that scene, Shao Kahn speaks for the audience because Liu Kang and Katana are like, kind of fighting but they keep like getting each other into holds and they're like having a conversation where it's like oh you have to tap into your potential in order to be and Shao Kahn's like hey hey, hey what the fuck is going on what <laughs> what there's a lot of talking not a lot of punching happening right now what the hey katana you're disappointing me what are you doing <laughs> truly truly come on do it i i will Just say that punch her they're costuming weak sauce i don't feel like a, there's a lot of great like not a lot of characters look like they do in the games. However, mm. I will say that in terms of getting to the fireworks factory, the fact that this is structured as an actual fighting tournament, I'm very okay with. And the fact that we have character motivations where like, you know, uh, Shang Tsung, or uh, Shao Kahn, not Shang Tsung, uh, Shao Kahn is like sucking people's souls out and, you know, is trying to kind of dominate the world i'm okay with that i don't know why he had to be portrayed as a big creep that was weird like that right he's like yeah i'm here to dominate the world and mix the two realms and bring outer world to to earth but also hey sonia what's going on baby how you how we doing like what are you doing stop it i thought that was very odd is that not wait is that not shang Tsung? i thought it was Shang am Khan. i confused i don't know Hold on. Isn't no, Shao you're right. Khan, you're right. It is Shang Tsung. Shao Kahn's like the emperor. You're right. You're right. It is, they, it is Shang Tsung. I got it mixed up. You're right. It is Shang Tsung. Okay. All right. So, so I'm a, I didn't want to be wrong. Usually I am the one that is always wrong on this show. And then yeah. we listen to it afterwards. <laughs> and we, and we, we go, like, oh, what no. the fuck are we talking about? No, I'm wrong. Yeah. It is Shang Tsung and he's a big old creep and I don't know why. However, I will yeah. say, um, Carrie, uh, Hiroki, uh, Tagawa, the actor who played, uh, Shang Tsung is fantastic in this. I mean, he mm. is overacting. There is some campiness to it, but like the the line, the line, "Your soul is mine," is so iconic in this film. Like you, you see it and you believe it. You're like, "Oh no, he is. Yeah. he's evil and he's magic." Um, and coincidentally, right when he says that line, uh, the roller coaster speeds up and shoots you through his mouth. Right. So. Yeah, which is great. Um, that's what we, you know, that's what we paid for the money for. Um, yeah. And then Brendan Fraser demands a coffee. It's a weird. It takes a weird turn. Yeah, exactly. But anyways. Yeah. Um, I actually was disappointed that Mr. Tagawa is the only one who's really committing to a character in this. Like, he is actively being a character, and I feel like Johnny Cage and Sonya and Liu Kang are just sort of there. Um, Legitimately, if you swapped um, uh, not, not just the actors, but their entire performance between Ken and Johnny Cage... It, it would feel like the exact yeah, same movie. Yeah, of like, just kind of being like American and just sort of being like, I don't know, man. I don't know why I'm even here. Like that, ugh. It, yeah. They're their exact same performance. Yeah. So here's a question for you. How did you feel about the creature effect of Goro? The four-armed you know, monster. Goro is, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think that you and I are both in the same boat. That physical effects are always going to look better. Um, and so I think Goro is one of the few effects that actually holds up in this film. It's interesting that you say that because I went in, it has been a long time since I've seen this movie. Um, I yeah. went in assuming that was going to look like garbage. Like as soon as we introduced Goro as a character, I'm like, ugh, this is going to look terrible. 
It really doesn't. It really looks pretty yeah. decent. Now, obviously, yeah. it's very limiting what they could do because his fighting is a lot of just like punches. But yeah. um, but for what they could do, it still looks pretty damn good. Yeah, and that is the thing that's always kind of funny and always sort of in the back of my mind about when you have like a giant costume puppet effect like that that is involved in anything physical especially if it's some kind of villain and you've got a character that's up against it and the context within the narrative at that moment is is kill that big bastard kill him right. take him down but behind the scenes it's please be very very gentle with this <laughs> thing it costs so much money it's please really, don't even look at it wrong yeah, like <laughs> very expensive please don't fuck around yeah <laughs> So, um, but that said, I mean, there are a lot of other effects in this film that just look wonderful. Like, I, I gotta ask, when Shang Tsung orders that statue to come to life, that lizard statue, oh, how did they do that? That is, okay. So as much as Goro looks great, the entire setup of Reptile is the drizzling shits. Like, if you want to talk about what immediately dates this film, it is 100% that effect. The reptile-like creature going like, and like running around. <laughs> <laughs> looks so bad. And ultimately to end up with what? Eh, it's not Scorpion or Sub-Zero. That's all it ends up being. It's just like, eh, here's another fighter. Like, it's so not worth it. I think that uh, it's that character is actually what Monsters, Inc. based Randall off of. I think they, you're absolutely right. I think I heard that in an interview that they went back and they were like, Mortal Kombat, Reptile's first form is absolutely where it needs to be. And also, like, it falls into the statue... And then the statue becomes reptile. Was that planned? It didn't seem like it was planned. It was like fighting its way out before it got absorbed yeah. into it. Why the why? There's so many questions from that one scene when it's just like, or it just evolves and becomes reptile. Like I don't know what's the problem. Yeah. But the movie's like, no, 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 no. We need to really give this weird third of an explanation in order to get there. That's very dumb. Very bad. I wish I wish that we could go back. I'm, I wish that we, you and I could start a buddy. Uh, a buddy cop time travel adventure series together where we go back in time and we talk to movies made in the 90s like Mortal Kombat and Spawn and we just tell them not to use computer imagery right. at all. Like, I know like, you think like, this look, looks cool stop. and I know you think this is the cutting edge, but it's it's a waste of money and it's going to look terrible in 15 minutes. Yes. Please don't do this. Please. Like, the, the, the scorpion spear is Ugh. just... And they thought it was so cool. Clearly they, they thought it was so cool. Oh god, they did. Because yeah. there was like unblinking close-ups of these of this fucking effect and it's like, ugh. And and Sub-Zero's effect looks fine. The freeze oh, yeah. effect looks okay. Yeah. Um but Scorpion just looks like oh and then uh as soon as you're like, wow, that get over here effect is really dumb and I don't know if they could get any worse. No, how about this? I'm going to pull my face off and I've got a skull head. That's like a size too big for my body. And now it's like having fire. And you're like, oh God, it looks worse. How did, why did you decide to go worse? <laughs> it was like their explanation was, hey man, this uh, this spear effect is looking a little rough. Should we spend more money to improve it? No, no. Let's put in a worse effect later so that this one will look better by comparison. Like, mm. oh God damn it. And legitimate question, how does Johnny Cage get out of the, the like, nether realm that Scorpion Here's a sucks better question. Into? How come when Scorpion blows up, there's a signed 8x10 of Johnny Cage there? What the <laughs> fuck? What an overreach just to get to that gimmick, to get to that reference, basically, from the game. Like, yeah. what an overreach to be like, ah, we put it in? Did you see we put it in? Like, yeah, and it wasn't worth it, guys. Like, just leave it be. 
so so there's a lot of soul sucking that happens in this film. Yes. Um, and we're sort of edging towards like, oh, he's gathering more souls. Um, I think it's Raiden mentions. Uh, Raiden, who I think is really awkward in the whole movie, because it's just Great. a white hey, guy with hey. a terrible... <laughs> point of order, point of order, I want to talk about this. All I right. fucking hate Raiden in this movie. I think it's a <laughs> terrible fucking character. Don't get me wrong, having the Highlander play him is interesting, I guess. Yeah. But I think Raiden is terrible in terms of like, okay, I get not wanting to have every character be like entirely made up of exposition or be, like, overblown and, like, super serious. I totally get that. But in the games, in the mythos of the games, if you were going to pick any character to be a dry, splinter-like character from the Ninja Turtles, Raiden is your choice. He's the one who's like, oh, I'm the guardian of Earthrealm, I'm, you know, I know all about the history of this shit, and blah, 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 blah. You would make him the one who was like, no nonsense. Not chuckling constantly like Tommy Wiseau. Not being a dick for no reason. Not like, oh, well, I guess you'll just have to find out. And then they turn away and he's like, I guess he's trying to find out. Tell him! Fucking tell him what he needs to know! What are you doing playing coy? Like, I think the choices for Raiden was by far the worst. And weird that it was like, well, we have to include Raiden, but we don't want him to actually fight and do his cool powers. So he's just going to fuck around and just kind of like pop in and out and just be annoying, I guess. Like, then why even include him? If he's not going to fight, why even bring him in? Yeah, Shang Tsung is very obviously frightened of him. Like, uh, right. Raiden shows up and and scares away Sub-Zero and, and Scorpion and, and gets Shang Tsung to, to back off the first right. time that they bring them in. Um, and and given all the context that we actually, as the audience, see of Raiden, it makes you think, like, what? Shang Tsung just doesn't want, like, any of his, like, dry commentary or, like, little quips that he thinks are funny that, you know... Like, I think Raiden's the kind of guy who would, like, leave you... I think Raiden's the kind of guy who would set up a voicemail on his phone that would be like, Oh, hello? Oh, uh, just kidding. Uh, I'm not here right now. Uh, it's Raiden. Leave me a message. And you, I think you know, everyone's just, like, over him. You They're know not what actually else? scared of his power. You know the other thing Raiden would do? He would be... He would say something that's, like, kind of funny, but doesn't really get a huge laugh, and then he would repeat it louder. That's who Raiden is. <laughs> that's absolutely who Raiden is. Yeah. Like, hey, is this is this Earth Realm or is this a garbage heap? And everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. He's like, I said, is it a garbage heap? And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we got it the first time, dipshit. Yeah. We, were, we were being polite before. And, like, the movie doesn't even give a real explanation as to why he can't defend Earth. Like, it would be one thing if it was like, oh, I used to be powerful, but the Emperor fucked me up and now I can't compete. Or something like that. Or he's like, oh, I'm just the Watcher. I can't, I can't, you know, impact the results directly. I have to stay on the out. Something like that would be fine. But no, it's just like, I don't know, I guess he had something better to do that weekend, so he's not fighting? Like, I don't fucking know. Uh, just, ugh, I hate his character a lot. And, like, the uh, same thing with Luke Kang. Luke Kang starts as, like, kind of a dickish character. And I'm like, why? Luke Kang is, is super on the straight and narrow in the games. Like, uh, Johnny Cage thinks he's, like, the hired help. And he's like, oh, take my bags. Here's some money. And Luke Kang's like, sure, no problem. And then just, like, throws a suitcase in the water. Like, mm, fuck you, buddy. Like, wh- why did we decide to do that with Luke Kang? Luke Kang is, like, very serious, like... 
monk-like, studied up, you know, blah, blah, blah. He didn't need like a 90s makeover of like, yeah, but what if he could do a kickflip? Like, no, no, we don't need to know that. Let him be Liu Kang. It bothered me that Johnny Cage never actually got upset by any of the things that you would assume he would. Like, he's a movie star. He's brought all of these ridiculous suitcases to this, like, realm for the fighting tournament. Um, And yet every time he, like, loses one or, like, Liu Kang drops it in the water or whatever, he's just like, <laughs> well, glad I didn't ask him to park the car. Or just some, like, dumb joke. He's never upset. He's just like, well, all right. <laughs> it feels like the movie was setting him up to be, like, a real prima donna. But the actor just didn't get that memo at all. Yeah. Because, like, they'll be like, you know, they'll get on the island or whatever where the fighting tournament's going to be. And he's like, oh, what the heck? And then everyone's like, oh, is this bothering you, Mr. Hollywood? Huh? Is this a fucking issue that there's no catering here, Mr. fucking Hollywood? And he's just sort of like, yeah, man, it's a real bummer. I don't know. Like, I guess. <laughs> like, where you would expect him to be like, somebody call my agent. Da, 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 da. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Where's my stuntman? Like... You would expect that that was going to be the case, but it was just like he didn't get the memo that day, and he's just like, uh, "So are we going to fight? Like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, the closest thing we get is when he fights Goro and the famous like those were five hundred dollar glasses, asshole. Like, that's the closest we get to like a kind of up his own ass kind of Johnny Cage. Everything else right. is just sort of like dry sexual harassment to Sonya. That's basically that's the, the rest. The rest of his character is just sort of like." Yeah, what we should make out. Like, that was it. That's the most he gets. I'm like, what the fuck? Raiden mentions it at one point when talking about Shang Tsung. He says, you know, if you fight him, you're fighting essentially everyone that's ever lost to him because he absorbs souls. Right. Um, so, and, and there's a bit of that in the movie, uh, some more effective than others. I mean, there's a scene where uh, after the whole finish him bit, he came over and... and well, actually, this is the fatality line when he comes over and sucks someone's soul out um, via his hand, like up to the fighter's chest. And that looks fine, I guess. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but then later on, they change up his soul sucking a bit to actually be that a, a physical, like ghost-like version of the person gets sucked into his eyeball and it looks like Michael Jordan gets sucked into oh, the, the, the hole on the golf course. Did we remember that we had that effect suddenly? Why did we choose to do that? Like, why were they like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got this after effect here of, like, somebody can go, and get sucked into his eyeball. Okay, well, why didn't he do that the first time then? Like, why did he have to get, what the, why? Which, also, I thought the payoff for that was super weak. Like, um, I thought what they should have done is, while Shang Tsung is fighting Liu Kang... He should have been doing different techniques, and there should have been almost like a shadow of who that fighter was right. as he was doing the technique. I think that would have made a much clearer picture of like, ah, he's better because of the souls that he's taken. Not yeah. just like, hey, here's a gauntlet of other people that you have to kind of sort of fight first. Which, I feel like the, the okay, so kudos to the movie for actually having this be a fighting tournament. Kudos to them. However, I feel like the rules get real fast and loose at the end. Like, like, it, like in the beginning, it's very structured. It's like, no, you only get to fight one another on the field in front of an audience, and there has to be a winner. Okay, great. We see that happen, like, three times. And then it's like, well, uh, Scorpion and Sub-Zero are going to fight these people outside of the tournament, and they die. Okay, well, that sucks. Oh, well, uh, 
Shang Tsung is going to take Sonya, and now they have to fight as the final battle. Well, if Sonya decides she doesn't want to fight, then it's not a forfeit. Somebody else just has to... What? Where did that rule come from? Well, now, uh, now instead, Liu Kang is going to challenge him. Okay, and this is the final fight? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, this seems much less structured now. And then there was like the part where like, oh, well, Johnny Cage wants to fight Goro now, which means now Shang Tsung gets to pick when he wants to fight. It's like, Jesus Christ, this seems like there's a lot of structure to it, and then suddenly none at all. And I thought that yeah. was really weird. I think they just realized that they had too many characters in the movie, and they're like, well, if we just follow these like basic like fight club rules then uh we're never going to get through all these we're just going to have true. to have back to back to back to back with no uh plot or which we kind of got that with goro because at one point they're like oh well goro has to like qualify to be in the finals so now here's a montage of like guys just falling from off screen with a goro sound effect and we're just going to say that he's beating them i'm like yeah. what, what the f why like, and also, why does he have to qualify? Like, Shang Tsung is suggesting, like, oh, I can just put in whatever fighter I want at any time. But it's like, well, I mean, he's got to make it through the the qualifying rounds first. You can't just throw him in. Like, why Why can't you? you you're making the rules. Like, why can't you do that? That's true. It was very odd. Do you think in the very first iteration of the script for Mortal Kombat uh that was passed around before production started do you think that that script had johnny cage punching goro in the in the nuts i like to think that that was like what they sold the movie on like i like <laughs> to think like when the production company was like i don't know a video game uh, that seemed pretty risky what if i told you that we spend a quarter of a million dollars on a giant robot with four arms that's gonna look fantastic and we punch it right in the dick on the way out like <laughs> i'd say you got yourself a budget you son of a bitch like that i like to think is was the absolute selling point of this right but they were like yeah but then what if the monster gets punched in the day i think any movie could be made if you if you promise that in there i think you could make a fucking <laughs> texas chainsaw massacre remake today if it was like okay 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 i know it's been done to death but what if leatherface gets punched in the dick on the way out You're like i would agree this is the budget there you go enjoy I, make magic. i like how shang soon gets upset with goro after he gets punched in the dick just a little salt in the wound and why yeah. is he upset with him did he tell goro that he should wear more pants he was and, he was like and... i fucking told you from the beginning armor on the dick i goddamn how many times how many times have i told you you got four arms. Four cups. I'm sorry. I, I thought how... the forearms would be good enough. I love how big Goro sells the dick punch, by the way. Like, <laughs> like He must have had some physical damage. comedy training. Yes. He collapses to his knees. His his eyes go cross-eyed. He goes, ooh. And the crowd of, like, just minions is like, oh, shit, he got hit in the dick. Like, it's so just, they really hang their hat on that. Of, like... That, and the, here's the thing that boggles my mind. Not just that that happens in this, like, <laughs> we're trying to make an action franchise. We're going to make a bajillion dollars off this. But the fact that they're like, by the way, one of the villains gets punched right in the dick. Well, that seems kind of like it's undercutting some of the series. No, no, no. But we really sit on that for a while. That he gets punched <laughs> right in the peepus. And the whole movie stops for a minute goes, can you yeah. believe it? Like, that... Again, I feel like that was the selling point of this movie to a lot of 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 the uh, you know investors. Like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. But what if I? Or what if in the scripting process they were trying to land on who was going to get punched in the dick? Like that was <laughs> part of the the whole structure. Where they were like, I don't know, is 
Is Sonya going to punch Shang, Shang Tsung in the dick? Nah, I don't know. You know, how about the, the Australian guy with the really questionable eye makeup? I don't know. <laughs> what about the big monster? The big monster that we build up as a big goddamn deal with four arms and he murders a half a dozen people. What if we punch him in the dick? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a moneymaker right there. Okay. That's and there fine. was a guy in the back of that room that said, like, but but I, I've been crunching the numbers. I mean, like, it's going to be more than a quarter million dollars to build this this thing. I mean, it's going to be, like, at least 300 grand. And they fire that guy. They throw him out the window of the building. Right. And then um, they, you know what they did? They did a split. They punched that guy in the dick. And then they threw did. him out the window. They did. And then they were, yeah. like, really, really focused on. Like, I wonder if that was, like, they figured out how to make the puppet react like that. And that's why they had to include it in the film. Like, they were, like, fucking around with the controls. And they were like, by the way, we can make Goro hold his dick and make his eyes bug out. And they were like, well, that's going in the fucking movie then. Yeah, they're fucking around with his facial expressions. And uh, one of the engineers is like, hey, come over here. Looks like, hey, look at him. He looks like he got hit in the dick. And they're like, they just look at each other. Oh, my God. We, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, get, get, get him on the horn. Get the producer on the horn. Yeah. We're increasing the dick-punching parts of this movie 200%. And then, yeah, All you're right. right. Shang Tsung's like, quit holding your balls and go chase Johnny Cage. And he's like, oh, jeez. Like, way to undercut your main monster. Yeah, Shang Tsung, uh, no empathy for getting hit in the nuts at all. No. I'm guessing someone who has never been hit in the balls, Shang Tsung. <laughs> <laughs> Shang Tsung is like, I don't know what that's like. Shake that off. Go chase me. That's the crux of his character is that he doesn't know what's like. He's never gotten hit in the ball. That's why he's so confident. That's why he's hitting on Sonya. No one has ever humbled this man with a shot to the pill. (laughs) Wow. That makes so much sense. We're really, we are diving in here. Speaking Speaking about character motivation, can I say how insulted I was that at the one hour mark, the movie is worried that the audience is too stupid. And so Raiden stops everyone to explain what their fucking character motivations are. <laughs> like, they're like, ah, oh, we got to get to the end and fight this guy. And Raiden's like, hold on a second. Johnny Cage, you're too cocky. And so you're going into fights without thinking about it. Sonya, you're blinded by your own revenge. Liu Kang, kind of the same thing as Sonya. We didn't come up with a third thing. <laughs> That's your character motivations, in case anybody was curious. Now we can continue with the movie. I was like, why is this necessary? (laughs) Apparently, um, uh, Scorpion, in both uh, this movie and in every video game ever, has always been voiced by Ed Boon, who's like the VP of NetherRealm. Yes, he's still producing main man. Yeah, Yeah, so, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, Let me ask you this. So he hits the get over here. Yeah. He hits another one, I don't remember. And then he hits, come here. And then he hits, get down from there. How much (laughs) did you roll your eyes on the third one? Oh, oh, so hard. I'm like, I don't recall that ever being a part in the video games where your character would manage to get too far up in the, in the fighting ring. And Scorpion would look up at you and, and say, get down from there. Frustrated. I, 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 every time they release a new Mortal Kombat, I expect that to be in it. Yes. That that Scorpion just um basically voices every complaint that your younger sibling would would voice when you were playing against him. Yeah. Like instead of just like get over here, it's like, "Oh, way to keep spamming kick, you piece of shit." Like <laughs> that's I keep I I keep expecting that and keep getting disappointed every every uh, iteration. 
Well, obviously the new games have no reference, uh, no qualms with referencing the movie. Um, I think you've pointed out how uh, one of the newer games, I think it might have been Eleven, has a reference to the five hundred dollars sunglasses. Yes, yes. and actually, uh, now that you're able to like customize your fighters in the new games, um, one of the items that you can buy for Johnny Cage to put on is called like five hundred dollars pair of sunglasses. Like, yeah. So they, so they've, I think in both these movies cases, people have kind of come around to them in sort of like a nostalgia sort of way of like, ah, eh, they're hokey, but meh. Um. I was surprised that Scorpion and Sub... Okay, so my issue with this movie is that it functions in superhero rules. Like, that the villains all had to die. Like, especially in these in these games, no one actually dies. Like, they always kind of come back. So the fact that they were like, no, Concrete, Sub-Zero, and Scorpion are fucking dead. Reptile's fucking dead. By the way, he was also Oogie Boogie for some reason and was filled with bugs. <laughs> Shang Tsung is fucking dead. Fuck him. Like, I was surprised by that. And not just like, ah, we defeated them and now we move forward in the tournament. Like, I was surprised. I was like, really? Just from like a merchandising standpoint, you're not going to keep these guys around? But, I don't know. I guess they wanted the the finality of it. I'm like, ah, they're dead. Okay, so so we, we mocked the get down from here. How much did you roll your eyes at Shang Tsung throwing out the other things like fatality and flawless victory. Oh, are you like uh, rolling your eyes at that? Or are you like, Oh, oh well they, they were cute. They tried to incorporate this shit. I, I mean, I, I roll my eyes. I would say it's, it felt like something that was done like a, a post editing, you know, where they like had to bring well, him back in and just put, put a close up of him in the background. And like, ah, oh, we could fit this in. All right. Even, <laughs> my favorite is the flawless victory one. Cause even Tagawa is like saying it like a, with a real shitty look on his face. Like, when Sub Zero freezes the guy in midair and he just like bl- explodes and dies, he's like, "Ooh, flawless victory! All right, remember that from the game." Sub Zero didn't take any damage. That's why this fits. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like even he knew. Like, hey, this is pretty fucking stupid that I had to say this, right? Uh, yeah, pretty dumb. I think so. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Um. So, final thoughts about Mortal Kombat. Biggest missed opportunity is at the end when the heroes save the day, and then we do see. Shao Kahn show up at the end on the green screen. The <laughs> fact that they all just kind of jump into fighting formation when Johnny Cage should immediately suggest, let's get ready to punch this guy in the balls. That really should have been ha- our ending yeah. line. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that uh, that they should have absolutely been ready. Uh, Liu Kang should have done a bicycle kick on Shao Kahn's nuts as the end of, as the ending that's, of the film. That's true. No, I thought the fighting, the, uh, I don't know. I feel like the fight with, with Shang Tsung is, is really weak. Like, all the ghosts show up and it's a gauntlet. And I'm like, is this legal? That you could just have, like, yes, our final fight. However, you got to fight these other five guys first. Like, huh? And then we come back around to, oh, it's his younger brother. Like, I, I was just like, this is weak. Um, uh, I loved Shang Tsung as a character. I thought it was performed so great. I love that it was performed so great that they got Tagawa to come back and be him in the new game. Like, the new Sha- uh, Shang Tsung is based on him. It looks like him. It sounds like him. Um, wow. so I think we all kind of joined hands and agreed that like he was sort of the best part of the movie. Um, but overall, I don't know. I feel like the pacing is really fucked on this movie because like it'll get really ramped up and it's like, all right, we're fighting and it's the whole thing. This is what you came for. And then it's like, all right, slow down a minute. Raiden has to tell us what our character motivations are. And I'm like, God damn it. This is so stupid. <laughs> no, that's fair. What do you, um, I don't know. What are your closing thoughts on it? 
I, I appreciate the uh, parts of it that embrace the fact that it is a movie about Mortal Kombat. There is no, yeah. uh, the, there there is no if ands or buts. They 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 beat you over the head with the fact that it is a, a fighting game that is not a fighting movie. Uh, they play the fucking theme song three times. Oh, Jesus, do they ever? <laughs> they play it as not ironically. Like they play it like, oh, during this fight scene, we're gonna play the goddamn game theme. Enjoy that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so. I will say, I will say, I was impressed the fact that they didn't shy. Although there were elements, like we said, where this movie felt like it didn't want to be a fighting movie. I will say that I was impressed that it didn't necessarily shy away from the mythos of the games that there was outer world. There was earth realm, you know, there was like higher things at play. Um, Shao Kahn shows up at the end. Like I'm impressed that they didn't go like, well, we'll, we'll make it hyper realistic. The fact that they were willing to play with some of the more ridiculous lore elements I was impressed with, but eh, it's still, it, it does have a better percentage rating. It's got a 47% rating on Rotten Tomatoes as opposed wow. to the 11 on uh, on Street Fighter, but that's significant. It's a mixed bag, in my opinion. Like I said, I feel like the pacing's not good. I feel like some of the character stuff is dumb, uh, but Shang Tsung is is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean this one got a sequel, so I mean that's true. Made more money, earned itself a sequel, so I, I think the world has just dis- uh, you know declared how they feel about Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat. But anyhow, um, I think we need to work towards fixing these films. But uh, yes. first, let's take a break. All right, so despite the sour note that this episode started on, when we clearly fixed Sonic the Hedgehog in pre-production, we're going to come back to the the chopping block again and put our skills to the test. Tien, how do we fix these films? Mm. Well, I hope they listen to us this time, whatever we come up with, because uh, I hear there is a new Mortal Kombat film on the horizon. They've been trying to for quite some time, and then... uh, the Legend of Chun-Li shit the bed in trying to bring back Street Fighter as a film franchise. So mm-hmm. they're both primed for gritty reboots in 2020. And so I, I hope that they really take these notes to heart. Yes, please. Uh, so first and foremost, I think that we already had agreed that... Uh, gave you a little teaser of the fact that Mortal Kombat would have been better by uh, not just 200%, but 10,000% more dick punching. Um, 100%. I think that should have been the story arc for Johnny Cage. That oh, every yeah. fight he wins with a dick punch, and then when he has to fight Shang Tsung, Shang Tsung has like a ghost penis or something, and it can't be punched. And yeah. then Johnny's like, oh my god, what do I do? Or 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 he's fighting, uh, you know, uh, Katana, and he can't punch her in the vagina and, and have the same effect. Um, yeah, And no, he's absolutely. like, oh, what do I do now? Um Johnny, uh, in fact, would get dick punched at that point. Nice, um, there you he go. He collapses, and then that's the big, you know, come to Jesus moment for him, where he has to, you know, hear Raiden over his shoulder, like you know, talking about his lesson. It's like a a real like Star Wars Yoda type moment where it's like, think back. There's more to a dick punch than just the dick, and that's when he realizes, like, wait a minute. A dick punch can be anywhere because the whole body is just a dick when you think about it. I so. think uh, I think Shang Tsung should be the one who punches him in the dick too. By the way, so oh yeah, Johnny's like, oh no, he's like, does that hurt? I don't even know. And you're like, what the fuck? But <laughs> here's the thing: you brought up something interesting, and I we've never done this before on the show. Mm. I actually think I have a solution for both films. That's the same thing. Oh really? The solution for both. 
is that they both needed to rip off Star Wars more. Because if you had made... Think about it like this. In terms of mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat, you make Liu Kang Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. You make Sonya Princess Leia. You make Johnny Cage Han Solo. You make Shang Tsung uh, Darth Vader. You make Shao Kahn the Emperor. Yeah. They and already you call build, him the Emperor. Right. And you build Liu Kang as your main focal point. Mm-hmm. He's going through training. He's got the potential. He's got the force in terms of like... Um, I think he's got like a dragon strike, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And but he's un he's untrained. He's 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 got this all this potential, but it's not focused. And then Raiden is your Yoda, and you really build the structure around him. And then your references, because obviously that's what both these films wanted. They wanted to make references to every character on the roster. Right. The references are just the people that he's fighting along the way. You have him fight, you know, whoever the fuck, uh, noob Cybot or whatever. And he beats him eventually and learns something from it. You know, that kind of a thing. And you build it up over time. And so, same thing for for, uh, Street Fighter. Is you have Ryu be your Luke. Ken is your Han Solo. Chun-Li is your Leia. And then you've got Sagat as your Darth Vader. And Bison is your Emperor. And so, you same structure there. And, you know... Ryu is trying to train and trying to better himself. And then again, if you're having references here and there, the references would be the other fights that he's getting along the way that he's mm. learning from. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a reason why it's a tried and true formula. I mean, to, to just, just the idea of, okay, well, these are very weird and wacky, strange worlds. I mean, the, the fact that Star Wars opens with, you know, meeting Luke on Tatooine. And yes, it's a strange planet, but things are familiar enough. Right, that That you're willing to kind of play along with it. Yeah, yeah, that you can audience plant with Luke. That's the idea. I mean, neither of these films gives you anybody to really audience plant with. It's like everyone's an asshole. Or everyone's like a, you know, big piece of shit or they're a villainous in some way. I mean, there's nobody that you can relate to and be like, man, that could be me. I could be the or, kid off the street that defeats M. Bison. Or, or, or even for the hero side, there's no one that's like necessarily like completely villainous, but everyone's kind of a dick or kind of like not taking it seriously. Because like yeah. Guile in Street Fighter, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who's, you know, acting through one bloodshot eye because he's coked out of his gourd, is like, you know... Like you said, hey, the master terrorist is talking shit and he wants to rule the world. And Guile's response is like, oh, he wants to rule the world? How about this? Is he ruling these guns? I don't think so, bitch. Like, okay, as a as an audience member, I'm supposed to identify with that? Like, I'm supposed to be like, yeah, this asshole seems to know what he's doing. Or, you know, same thing with Liu Kang. Oh, hey, I came back to my monastery because I had a dream that my brother got killed. Yeah, he definitely did, and it's kind of your fault, and it really sucks that you just ditched us for America for no reason, by the way. Okay, well, I don't really identify with this character. Like, what an asshole. Like, I think if you had built it more like Star Wars, yes, you would have gotten the criticism of being like, who's a Star Wars ripoff, but it would have lent itself to a much cleaner narrative for the dick punching and for the Raul Julian. By the way, as a side note, I was doing a little bit of research, so, Street Fighter the movie is Raul Julia's last feature film that he was in before he dies. Right. 
Did you know that he was going to be in Desperado? He was going to be the bad guy in Desperado. Oh my god, no, I didn't know that. That was the next project he was working towards, was he was going to be the villain in Desperado. And I was That's like, amazing. holy shit. I'm so shit. sad now. That he that would have been happen. so good in that. Yes, no, absolutely. That, that's amazing. I wish that that would have happened. Yeah, no, I, I think really we need to just seal the deal on both these films need to become Star Wars. Um, I think that Raiden needed to ride around on uh, Liu Kang's back. I think that would have been much less annoying than what we got with Raiden if he was that's just true. like piggybacking in a little papoose as Liu Kang is like doing wind sprints. I, I much prefer that over like, <laughs> it's a little different here, right? It's not, it's not like back home. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. What are you doing? Do I something. Because he can't he can't participate because of some unknown rule, but here I'm gonna leave a bucket of water here so that you can cheat to beat Sub-Zero. Fucking pick a lane, old man. Either decide to be in the tournament or don't. Why how how is this legal? Oh, Shang Tsung, quit bothering the fighters on the boat. You're not allowed to fuck with them before the tournament. Okay. Yeah, but I'm going to come in and just interfere and it's okay because I'm making the rules, I guess. No, fuck you. Either get on or get off. Shit or get off the pot. Stop fucking around on this in-between. <laughs> this, this is true. It would be so, like if Yoda punched Darth Vader in the dick before the fight with Luke Skywalker. No, no. He should have. You don't get to do that. Go home. Go back to the swamp, you fuck. I, I don't think dick punches are very effective on Darth Vader, though. I think that... Uh, Unlike Goro, he probably learned his lesson about a little protection down there, not just wearing a loincloth. True. So true. How would you make? How would you book Goro differently if you were going to um, remake Street Fighter? Well, obviously you, Goro uh, is Jar Jar Banks. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong there. Uh, Misa got. I think four that arms. he should have. I think that uh, all of him should have been the that level of comedy that was in getting his dick punched. He should always be like stepping in the poopy or like slipping so and falling you, or whatever. Stepping in the poopy, by the way, I think that should have been in the script notes. Yeah. So, do you think he should have been the Zangief character? That he should have been like just a comic relief at all times? Yeah, because um, they introduce Zangief and he's so serious. He's always right in the background looking huge um, right behind M. Bison with a big grimace on his face. Um, but then as soon as he actually gets speaking wine, that's why he's like, hey, and how about some vodka after this? Hey! Yeah, well, he's like, essentially, he's the guy who sells Anakin. That's Zangief. Yeah, his fir- yes, he's definitely Watto. Um, <laughs> if... No, the fact that Zangief's first line is they there's a TV monitor playing with Chun-Li and her crew, and they're like, hey, we're going to blow your asses sky high. And Zangief's response is, change the channel. Like, he thinks that that's going to fix it. It's like, oh, just change the channel. This show sucks. Genius. <laughs> Genius. No, it is. And I think it would have worked. Um, yeah, no, I think that you could have implemented Goro just in that way. Um, pure comedic relief. They, It's one of those things where they maybe would have had to build like four or five different versions of the puppet robot um, so that they could always have him fall down in the mud or whatever. And, My question to you is, him. do you think Mortal Kombat made a major misstep by not including fatalities? Like, do you think like... I mean, they by not kinda, being gory? Yeah, like they kind of did with Scorpion. He kind of blew up, which is sort of fatality-ish. And, right. And, but like the characters themselves did, which I mean makes for a complicated character structure to be it like does. oh yeah. man i really hope that you know sonya and johnny cage and luke hang really work out by the way they just brutally murdered a human being in front of us on yeah. screen yeah that muddies the water a little bit 
but I, also I, I like that. I like that you you have to just take the good with the bad. People are complicated. They can't right. all be heroes. Johnny Cage, you know, he's he's the guy that you want to root for. Or or let's say Liu Kang, you know, he's our Luke Skywalker plan. So he comes in. Hey, you know, like I, I'm here fighting for the good. I, I wish I could just put fighting behind me, but for the good of mankind, I'm gonna do this. I'll do what I have to do. We've done that countless times. You know, movies like Con Air or whatever, where right. uh, there's a bad guy, a good guy in a bad situation sort of thing, but then he rips someone's spine out and he holds their head up like a trophy. That's how you keep it pure. A couple of things here. Now that you've brought Con Air into it, I think Liu Kang should have been played by Nicolas Cage. And let's just put that Right, and that you're well, mid nineties. Ha- yeah, half the characters in the movie have Nicolas Cage hair in Actually, both movies. <laughs> joking aside, how good would Johnny Cage have been if he was played by Nicolas Cage? Oh my god, it, that, that's perfection. And we're talking like, like prime face-off, ridiculous Nick Cage. Yeah, like I'm a vampire, Nick Cage. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah. Can you imagine Nick Cage like? Uh, struggling to carry suitcases up a step of ancient like ancient staircase having well, not, them all fall down not and... only that though but it would have played to the like the realism of acting a lot more because instead of being like johnny cage is a prima donna it would be like hey johnny cage is an actor and doesn't know how to relate to normal people and so he's kind of a fucking basket case i think that would have been awesome yeah no i agree completely. my other thought is Instead of the line that calls back to him being on set when Goro falls to its death, when Johnny Cage is like, now's the part where you fall down, what would have been another um, set line that you think could have worked better than that? Like, let's take another crack at the, now's the part where you fall down. I think he would have said, probably put the bunny down if I were to take a guess. I I would have gone something like, I'll be in my trailer. Something that doesn't really (laughs) fucking make sense. Yeah, he would have looked at him and he would have said... Worst craft services. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Or yeah. something like, someone get this hooker out of my trailer. Something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I think that would have been great. No um, stunt double here, bitch. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> no, I think that would have been perfect. Um, I really would have preferred uh, for Johnny Cage to be much more obnoxious. Because yes. they, uh, they really, I mean, like, I'm, I'm. it's so, it's honestly scary how much Ken and Ryu... And uh, Liu Kang and Johnny, like... Oh, Jesus, yeah, they're the same the fucking guys. Like, it's just... They're they're both, like, the same person. They're the same character traits. Like, they will say whatever the script needs them to say at that point. Like, they have no character to them at all. They're just, like... Yeah, they're both just sort the of, Asian like, I don't know why we're guy. here. Yeah, like, the, they're, they're the Asian white guy team up. Honestly, here's how you fix the movie. Okay. Just have... Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan play oh those in both movies. In both films. In both, in both films. movies, yes. Because as soon as Shao, uh, Shang Tsung sucks a man's soul out of his dick or whatever, you cut to, to Johnny Cage and he just goes, wow. Like, that would have been fucking it. That's <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> wow, how'd you do that? Yeah. and That's then. great. And then before Goro fights Liu Kang, Goro goes, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And Liu Kang's like, hey, that's crazy racist. I don't appreciate that at all. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, uh, let's see, Um, when Ken is like finishing off like the bad guys near the end of the movie in Street Fighter, he would definitely end that big fight scene by striking a pose and saying, ka-chow. Yeah, exactly. He could ka-chow the shit out of it. 
And yeah. he does when he does the spinning kick, the 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 whatever the fuck it's called in, in Street Fighter, and he just says yeah. kachow a bunch of times. There you go. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Well, as usual, we've made magic happen. We fixed Not it. only are both of these movies now Star Wars, but they are now both starring Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. They're not only both Star Wars, but they're both Shanghai Knights. So, yes. there we go. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, no need to oh. thank us. We fixed it again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we, we don't require any thanks. It's okay. We do this for the love of cinema. For the love mm-hmm. of the art. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Well, um, in these desperate trying times, Zach, is there anything at all that you would like to plug? Uh, go back and listen to all of our old episodes again. We're very funny, and um, mm. it, it's good to be back. That's how I feel. It's about good that. to be back, baby. Um, yeah. No, that's uh, people. People keep asking me if I'm back, and yeah, I'm in Fortnite. Oh so. my god. <laughs> well, I again. <laughs> Now I immediately regret doing this. So there you go. <laughs> That's that. Um, um, but really, everybody. I mean, uh, depending on. I mean, hey, the the uh, usually with how long it takes me to have these episodes. I mean, the the world could be over by the time I get this uh, posted. We'll see. But we'll uh, see. But but that said, uh, I hope everybody is staying safe out there, washing your hands after you touch your dick or after you punch Goro in the dick. Just wash your hands. <laughs> um, and uh, that's it. That should have been Johnny Cage's line instead of <laughs> "Now's the part where you fall down." He'd be like, "Now's the part where I wash my hands." <laughs> Perfect. That's good. Yeah, Johnny Cage is now a neurotic Nicolas Cage oh with OCD. God. Fuck! God, these movies would be so much better now. Oh, perfect. Um, <laughs> so, stay safe, everybody. Um, please, yeah, go back, check us out. You can still find us uh, on Fright Failures, Frightful Failures on social media. Hopefully, we'll be posting on there soon. So, um, check us out. Share us. Uh, you know, if you like an episode, if an episode makes you laugh once, then just share. tell somebody about it. That's yeah, if all it makes you ask, laugh right? once, fuck you, you owe us then. We accomplished what we wanted to. Exactly. You owe us with your life. If you, if, okay. if you listen to any of these episodes and it feels like a punch in the Dick, then job well done for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for mission all, accomplished. Yes. Yeah, so for all movies involved, on behalf of the ghost of Raul Julia, I am Zach Romero. He's been Tian Guignol. Thank you so much for listening, and continue circulating the tapes. <laughs>